Welcome to the Sparrow Hangout, where we talk all things spearfishing, freediving, and foraging. We're three guys from Devon in the UK who are excited to share some of the learnings from our spearfishing journey with you over the coming episodes. We bring in some special guests along the way to help spread some in-depth spearing knowledge from some of the most experienced people in the scene. How's it going, lads? Not bad. How are you? Good. <laughs> you must be really good today because what did you get? Yeah, that was a pretty epic dive. <laughs> uh, one, well, my first gilt head bream. Yeah, that's and awesome. Nice. Yeah, ch- cheers, man. Um, yeah, it was really good. Got gilt head bream, two mackerel, massive mackerel, and one place, seven scallops. Did you go there specifically for gilt head then? Do you know they were there? Uh, yeah, I got given uh, a bit of a clue so. <laughs> from the boyfriend. <laughs> so, off. so uh, you yeah, must I went... have some serious lockjaw at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, what, what, are you, what are you implying? <laughs> so, so yeah, so I went there on the hunt for guilt, got my guilt, and a few extra little bits. So, happy with that. Uh, nice, congratulations, well mate. And talking about paintballs, that um, went out yesterday afternoon with Ben, and uh, there was one point we're probably only in like four meters of water, five meters of water, and this bait ball came at me, and just everything went dark, and it was actually really fucking scary. (laughs) Just and and they were swimming like the clappers, and it was actually like oh my god, and I could feel a couple of them hit my suit. It was just really weird, but there was not. It didn't look like there was anything chasing them. So whether I spooked off whatever was chasing them, but um, yeah, it, it was weird to be in a bait ball like that. Yeah, good dive though. You had a few Dover sold, didn't you? Which is really nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I got uh, nineteen points yesterday towards a species comp. Um, nice. So I got my final Dover sole for seven points, and then I got uh, two red mullet. Well, yesterday I got three Dover Sol, three Red Mullet, and a Pollock, but uh, towards the oh, species nice. comp. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, really, really good afternoon into the early evening night. Really fishy, wasn't it? It was. Mm. Um, I haven't Especially seen so with many Pollocks. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that was bizarre, wasn't it? But um, yeah, like, I haven't seen so many Pollock in a, in such a small space that were like of edible size mm, um, mm. In, in a long time. That was really cool. And uh, so many Dover sold around. Yeah, it's definitely quite fishy the last couple of days, eh? Like you mm, guys yeah, need, need to get out again. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully and Friday. And Ben, what, what... guilt spot. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> ben, what did you have the other day, mate? Oh, did I go out again as well, did I? Oh, uh, well, uh, as in like yesterday afternoon? No, your eight-legged oh, friend. I get it. I had a, lo- I had a lobster. Your eight-legged friend. Oh, that was that feels like ages ago. <laughs> when was that? What that's, that's Friday. Friday. Yeah. That's Friday. Yeah, huge octopus. God, that feels it does feel like ages ago. That was epic though. Uh, and I gotta thank Lawrence for putting me onto it. But um, yeah, that was crazy, man. Yeah, I know not everybody's okay with taking octopus after the um yeah, what was that film called? My, my friend octopus or something. My, my eight-legged friend. My octopus friend. Anyway, I, I don't know if I really buy it. I mean, we eat pigs, for example, and pigs are pretty intelligent creatures. Um, so I, I I was quite happy to take the octopus, and it was big enough that we could share it out between all three of us that were diving. Mm-hmm. So I think you took a, a leg or two, Richard, didn't you? Lawrence took a leg or two, and I, and I took the rest. And, man, that was delicious. It was Not amazing. expecting that. And I was really surprised because so many people gone about how 
tough it is and how almost inedible it is and it's not worth it disagree have to say as long as you cook it for long enough and mm. slow enough absolutely delicious so i've i've still got another couple of legs in in the freezer so i'm really looking forward to digging into that because it was oh, it must be like five kilograms we worked out didn't we rich yeah yeah five kilos yeah yeah, yeah, I think it was lovely, man. I I bought it for ages, and um, it turned yeah. out lovely. Honestly, it was so good. Yeah, definitely take one again. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely with octopus. Same with skid. Same with cuttlefish. It's all in the uh, all in the cooking. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Absolutely. So yeah, boys, I'm looking forward to this uh, to this episode. Yeah, well, mammal, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. He's joining us from Australia as well, so we're. Uh, I think it's going to be a good episode, lads. Yeah, it's awesome. He's been travelling around a little bit recently, hasn't he, as well? Yeah, yeah, all the way from Fiji, I think. So he's been spearing over in Fiji, so Fantastic. looking forward to getting into it with him. Where is he now? Sydney, I believe. Sydney, Australia. In back. Excuse my horrendous accent. Well, let's <laughs> uh, let's get him on. Hey, Sam, how's it going, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Very good. Welcome, Sam. Good to have awesome. you on. Thank you. Yeah, nice yeah, to see you, mate. Good. Thanks for having me on. So whereabouts in the world are you, considering I think you've got probably more air miles than any other spearfisher on Earth? Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently in Fiji. I'm, uh, no, I'm not. I'm in Sydney. <laughs> you <even> forgot. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. even know where he is. Where no, it's quite early morning. Have you had your morning coffee yet? No, not yet. No no stimulants or anything. I've literally just <laughs> yeah, and away we go. Um, so, yeah, I'm in Sydney at the moment. I've only been in Sydney about a week and a half. And haven't managed to get wet yet, so it's pretty yeah, oh. really beautiful weather here. Do you have like somewhere you call home? Uh, yeah, so S- Sydney would be like typically home. Um, yeah, and then yeah, since COVID, it's all been a bit up in the air. So I've been darting around a lot more than I typically would. Right. Um, so I've, I've been yeah, UK, Fiji, Indonesia, Singapore. Yeah, I've been about incredible. Some awesome <laughs> adventures on your YouTube channel. Cheers, man. Yeah, it's been it's been a wicked couple of years of like, yeah, stepped back from work a little bit and yeah. decided to pursue a bit more of the outdoors life. So yeah, it's been nice. really good. Well, just just to pull you back a little bit or pull us back a little bit. So um sorry, Sam. Tell us a bit about you, who you are, um, what you're known as, obviously in the community and on social media, um, and what is it you do? Yeah, sweet. So um, my name's Sam Clovia. I'm known online as the wet mammal and to my mates as wet mammal. Um, and basically, I just make spearfishing content. Um, I'm a spearer that's kind of, I'm from the UK originally, and I've darted around a fair bit and covered a fair bit of the South Pacific, Australia, Southeast Asia, um, spearfishing and yeah, video to kind of show everybody what spearfishing actually is, what what it entails, and yeah, why I do it as well. And then I try and like combine that with a few of my like other passions, which include cooking and hiking. So just try and like yeah, amalgamate everything into one good little adventure. Living the dream. Where, where does the name Wet Mammal come from? Is that something you just came um, up with? No, one of my mates gave it to me. So after living with me for a little bit, um, I, yeah, I was just like permanently wet, either spearfishing or <laughs> swimming. And um, yeah, I was walking across the living room one day and he was just like, oh, fuck, you are just a wet mammal, aren't you? And then it just kind of <laughs> stuck. stuck. Yeah. Love it. There we go. Yeah, nice. nice. So um, you you obviously like you 
learn to spearfish in the UK? Is that right? Or like, is that where you start yeah. off? Yeah. Yeah. So I started, um, there was a, well, you should know him actually, Matt Hill. Um, we yeah, were spearfishing. Yeah. I didn't know it was Matt Hill at the time. Um, I was tombstoning off our local cliffs in Torquay and we saw this body in the water and he was kind of diving up and diving down. At first, we didn't even know it was human. Um, we <laughs> didn't work out what was going on. And then he came up with a fish and presented a fish to us whilst we were up on the cliffs. So we kind of jumped in on him, which wasn't the safest thing to do. But then was like basically just fascinated with the fact that he had managed to catch this bass and yeah, he had a few other bass. This was before the days of the two bag limit. He had a few other bass on his um, stringer. And I was just like, wow, that is super cool. I was already into hunting at that stage for just rabbits, wood pigeon and, and hare. But um, yeah, never seen anything like that for the water. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. So just, yeah, spoke to him. We went to the same school. So he hooked me up with a fair bit of gear. And then, yeah, we attempted it ourselves, me and my mate. And then we eventually got the help from Matt Hill because of, yeah, we were a bit useless, me and my other mate, Matt Miller. So, <laughs> Nice, awesome. how old are you then uh i think about 13 years old wow amazing yeah that's oh, cool man set. well i mean f- first of all matt hill isn't really human is he i mean the depths that he can dive to <laughs> yeah, yeah no he's, he's, more, he's more fish than he phenomenal. is human really <laughs> yeah he's a phenomenal diver and yeah a phenomenal spiro as well he's yeah 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 for sure so like do you, do you feel um that obviously like starting off in the UK, you obviously got like a good fin for going overseas. And do, do you feel like it sort of helped you any of your diving overseas? I mean, because the diving is a lot different, but like diving in murky water here most of the time, um, you know, the, the stalking and all those bits and pieces, do you think it helped you abroad? Absolutely. Um, I think the only place that it wouldn't help you is the med where you're required to go like really deep for, for fish. But yeah. Um, yeah, coming from the UK, like starting off in the UK is amazing because if you pick up a passion for a sport where you've only got a limited amount of months where you can spearfish in mm. the year realistically, like effectively, um, yeah, you've got poor conditions in terms of visibility. Although I have noticed over my lifespan that that is improving like significantly year on year almost. Um, and the water temperatures, if you can deal with the water temps, murkiness of the water and the kind of lack of fish for like a decent chunk of the year um and you froth spearfishing you'll absolutely froth it everywhere else you go because it's just yeah it's amazing um definitely being able to like hold bottom time at depth in the cold is a massive massive bonus to spearfishing in the uk because when you go abroad and you're in warmer waters your double like your bottom time will like double um, which will effectively lay you on fish. So it's, nice. yeah, I think it's a great place to learn. Awesome. Yeah, nice one. Awesome. Yeah. And um, talking about bottom time, I I remember listening to uh, uh, something that you were on not too long ago, and you were saying how I think when you started spearfishing, you used to breathe up in a um, non-clever way, we'll call it. All it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, yeah, talk us through that. Obviously, when you started, how did you breathe up on the surface? You know, what, what's your learning curve been like? Yeah, it's been absolutely huge. So, um, yeah, hyperventilation was the go for many, many years. Um, and basically, I just get myself on the surface and just breathe in and out really, really quickly. 
and then taking one big breath and then dive down. And I noticed that I was really comfortable underwater and could stay down for like at the time, what I thought was like a decent amount of time. Mm. Um, and that's how I spearfished for years and years and years. And then it was an incident in Western Australia with a lobster trying to get it out of the hole. When I was on my own, I was probably like four to 600 meters off the beach. And um, yeah, the lobster was only in maybe like seven, eight meters of water, something like that. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I was really struggling to get this lobster out of its hole had a hold of both of its antlers and um, this is the rock lobster that we've got in australia yeah i had a hold of both of its antlers and i was really trying to like wriggle it out and it was just yeah being stubborn but i'm really quite stubborn as well so i refused to let go anyway eventually got the lobster out and swam up to the surface and as i swam up to the surface i felt incredibly like euphoric my fingers went tingly i went really lightheaded and just felt great I actually let go of the lobster and then my head was out of the water at that point and I felt my like chin and everything just go like a little bit below the water and then I was like whoa and then it like woke me up I was like what the hell was that so that was a huge wake-up call to get myself on a freediving course which I'd never done up until that point so I booked myself in and yeah sure enough found out probably within the first 30 minutes that what I'd been doing for like 10 years was completely wrong so high ventilation from the back of that course just talk us through um for the listeners what what the hyperventilation is you know why is it a good thing why is it a bad thing what's it for what's its place is it does it have a place in spearfishing at all what have you learned since then um so yeah from the freediving course i got taught that basically it's bad the reason why it makes you feel comfy like the it kind of the the best description i've ever been given is a smoke alarm so your body's got this smoke alarm system for co2 and when your co2 starts to build up and your oxygen obviously depletes the oxygen transfers into co2 as your body burns it and the the alarm basically by hyperventilating you basically take the batteries out of the alarm so Mm. as the oxygen comes down and co2 increases you're not getting that alarm system to say hey it's time to breathe yeah. which is why it feels like really comfortable. So, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of feeling comfy underwater, it's a good thing, but you're shutting off your alarm system, which can lead to blackouts like a lot quicker because if you're ignoring this, like all the signs and systems that tell you to go up for air, you're just completely ignoring those. Um, yeah, you have yeah. to ignore them anyway. It's just not that extent. Yeah, so it's, it's the CO2 that gives you that urge to breathe and obviously hyperventilating before you go down purges your body of the CO2 that it's got normally. Um, yep. And so it enriches the oxygen in your blood, um, stops, like you say, stops that fire alarm from going off to say, oi, get to the surface. Your lungs, uh, you know, your body's starting to get you know, low or, well, no, it's actually, it's your body's starting to get high on CO2, so you need to breathe. Um, but then because of the fact that you haven't got that urge, you, yeah, you lose your O2 at which point I think it's what 93% and you, or something along those lines, 92% and your brain just shuts down. Hence the reason shallow water blackout. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your body works on like a, um, negative feedback system. So it's the CO2 that actually indicates us to breathe, not the the oxygen declining in our body. Mm. Um, Sam, what are your thoughts on um, O2 and CO2 tables? So as I understand it, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, CO2 tables is to increase your CO2 tolerance. So it will suppress the urge to breathe effectively. 
and O2 tables allow your body to cope with a lower level of oxygen. Is that true? What, yeah, I, where's I, their place I, in spearfishing? Um, I I find them incredibly dangerous because they're incredibly addictive and fun. So yeah. as you get really really close <laughs> to that CO2, as that CO2 increases, you do get all the euphoric feelings and everything, yeah, right. and it's a bit like chasing the dragon on it. It's um, yeah, I've only ever done it in pools on free diving courses, and I've right. absolutely loved it. But mm. I wouldn't trust myself doing it in open water and i wouldn't trust myself doing it on my own because of it it is a lot of fun and yeah it feels incredible so have you ever done it like say sat on a sofa or laid in bed no and i i don't do any dry training uh at all i'm yeah one of those people that like i've i'm lucky enough to spend enough time in the water so i'll mm. kind of do training in water yeah. um and just from like spearfishing like on a typical week i would spearfish probably like three to five times a week so I'm, I'm getting enough diving in that I don't need to do dry training um I think when I was really young and getting into it I did a bit of dry training but I just couldn't couldn't find it enjoyable um and I didn't see any benefit from doing it but I wasn't exercising I was just like doing statics mm -hmm. yeah led in bed um most benefit I got from doing that when I was younger like 13 14 was in the bath and then you've got the like the mammalian dive reflex kicking in from the water. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a bit more helpful, but also nobody wants to black out and die. I say quite dangerous as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unless I'm... unless you've got a buddy that sits next to you in the bath. So Rich, <laughs> next time I go for a bath, Rich, can you just come over and sit next yeah, to me? Yeah, mate, I'm there, no worries. <laughs> and hold your hand. Yeah. And just give me mouth to mouth if my head goes under the water. Yeah, yeah, I'll leave Question you there. Is, are there bubbles in the bath or not? <laughs> and what end are they coming out of? <laughs> They're bare be a rubber ducky, man. Um, what what Anthony was what Anthony was referring to before was that you've been on the Noob Spiro podcast, haven't you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the I listeners don't the cool. listeners don't actually know this, but uh, we're in touch with Shrek in a minute, and we're just trying to arrange a date for um, him to come on here. So that's gonna be quite cool. Oh, and, shameless and, plug. And, and vice versa, we're gonna be on his. So that's that's epic, man. Like, really looking forward yeah. to that one. But um, yeah, your your episode was really good on on Shrek's uh, podcast. So yeah, the listeners okay. should go over there and listen to that one as well. But um, so just bringing it back to the UK a bit, like when when you do come back. Uh, does the UK spearfishing scene still do it for you? Like, is is it still enough yeah. after what you've done? Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, I don't know if it's kind of because I grew up with it, so it's a bit like nostalgic, or if like it is just amazing. But in terms of life, when the UK turns on, it's on. Like yeah. for those months between like May and like August September, it is fantastic. Like, mm. I, yeah, I love diving in the UK. Oh, um, mate. Even even yeah. October's pretty good at the minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think things are changing so much from when I was a kid. I can remember August always being the month that fired, and then the last two Septembers I've spent in the UK, the Septembers were better than the August. So, yeah, I imagine that October is going to be even better. Oh man, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Anthony's shaking his head at me because I shot my first guilt here today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Congratulations, I'm, man. I'm, yeah, I'm sat shaking my head. <laughs> oh, you know, no, October's the one where it's lit. That's only because you keep fucking going out in October. 
I said October could be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's because you're only catching the good fish now. <laughs> it would have been May if you'd have caught the good fish in May. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Anytime's a good time, eh? especially in the water. That's it. So, oh, yeah. Sam, when you come back versus the obviously the open blue water, the plagic is you said that it sort of harps back and it's sort of nostalgic. Would you say obviously the depth of the viz is completely different, but would you say it's harder to dive in the UK um, and fish in the UK than it is in the pelagics or? For, yeah, for some aspects, yes. And then for other aspects, no. So um, bass, it, it's really hard to work out as well because obviously you've got experience factoring in. So like bass, I grew up hunting bass and they're one of yeah my favorite fish to hunt. Mm. Um, I seem to be quite successful at getting bass, like, and I know my spots now and yeah, they seem relatively easy to hunt, but I think that could only come from experience because I've spoken to other people and they really struggle mm. to get onto bass consistently. So yeah, it's really hard to work out like what's experience and then what is like difficult. Um, but no, I, I still, I still love like just lying down in kelp and waiting for big fat pollock to come in, and <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely yeah. sick. It's, it's slightly different from most parts that um, like I explore and dive in Australia, just because of yeah, it's a bit more kelpy, whereas the stuff that I dive in Oz is a bit more like reef, and particularly like it's becoming more and more barren from like sea urchins and stuff like that, and mm. um, and it. Yeah, it seems to be a bit more scattered, but I think the the UK overall's got like a really really good like topography, um, underwater for for diving that lends itself with like awesome ledges, caves, swim throughs, um. So it's got good ground as well that like you do find in other countries, but I think the UK is just really cool for it. Yeah, yeah. and have you learned anything abroad that kind of helps you when you come back to the UK as well? I guess dive time all, all helps, but are there any like particular techniques or so one thing that's like massive with um, yeah some of the reef species and the pelagics are using flashes and things to draw fish in. Mm. Now I actually haven't tested this with UK fish, but like if it works for fishing, I imagine it would work for um, for spearfishing. So yeah, I'd be really interested to see how that goes. Mm. But um, techniques, yeah, just kind of doing the dead drop dives. That's one of my like favorite things to do, where like I literally do a duck dive and then kind of shake my body a little bit like vibrate my body a bit as if like something's happened to me and then just let the weight and the descent take me down and fish really seem to like come in and find that really interesting as oh what's happened to this thing so that's like yeah one of my favorite techniques that works really really well with moo um and yeah it works well with pollock but that's the same as just lying in in kelp for pollock as well mm. Very interesting well going back to what you were saying about flashes we had um arian uh who's the uh, sky uh, marine spearfisher that we went up for a, a few days for in scotland um a couple oh. of weeks ago and he was saying how um some of the dives that he's been doing he's been doing while that he's had friends on the shore fishing into where he's fishing and yeah. how he'll have you know spinners and stuff in the water or floats with bait on and the fish just aren't interested at all in flashes spinners bait or anything and then he's wow. coming up obviously having speared the you know the, the eight nine ten eleven pound pollock um yeah. and his mates are like not getting a single bite or anything and he's saying the fish just aren't 
interested in that at all. Maybe that was that specific day. And again, mm. he, I think he only did it the once, but uh, it's just, yeah, it would be, be good to see with flashes because I know that they're, they're banned in all of the BSA national competitions. You're not allowed to use a flasher. Um, yeah. So whether that's come from, you know, flashes are good, um, similar as as we see on YouTube and with your YouTube from uh, the Pelagics. It's interesting because yeah. Erin was saying his his friend Josh, who we also had on the podcast um, previously, had tried it with some success, but Erin's never had much success with it. I wonder if it'd be worth actually explaining what a flasher is for um, those listeners that don't know. Yeah, sure. So um, a flasher is like a um, an attracting a fish attracting device. So it's often just something that's highly reflective. Um, and sometimes they might make a noise. Um, the best ones I've found are ones that have like the uh, um, basically like steel, and it's basically uh, sh- like shaped in a way where it's got like a curve and a spiral. So when you lift it up, when you jig it, it actually spins the flasher, and then it's got highly reflective tape of like blood marks and so on on it. So it will spin, which yeah reflects light. If but you need light for it to work. Yeah. Um, if you try using it in really gloomy conditions it probably wouldn't work too well at all Mm. um and it works best when the light's on an angle so like quite early in the morning and then quite quite late in the evenings like the best time because you've got like that kind of angled light coming in and hitting the flasher as opposed to just straight down light which doesn't seem to to pop the flasher as much in terms of reflecting the light. Yeah, and is it like a like a minimum viz that you need to have? Like, is it you need ten meters really for it to be effective? Or yeah, I would say the the more viz, the better. But it depends on the fish that you're hunting because if some fish can see what it is from like a, a great distance, they'll kind of come in close, like fifteen meters, but they won't come right up to it. Whereas when it's around that like 12, 15 meter viz mark i seem to be getting a lot more fish come in um because they have to come closer to obviously inspect what the, the flasher is some fish will stop dead on it so um annoyingly in fiji i got in the water and my flasher had been thrown over the side of the boat and then i was gearing up and it took me a little bit longer to get ready and then i slid into the water and when i slid into the water there was just a dog tooth tuna like a 20 kilo dog tooth tuna no just way looking at and it was still in the water <laughs> looking at the flasher i thought how long has he been sat there yeah anyway, and how, like, how can yeah, i get down as fast as possible <laughs> yeah how can i get my bands loaded and dive down <laughs> on it and crack it so yeah he he, he buggered off anyways but um yeah it's amazing how with some fish it just absolutely captivates them and then with other fish it actually spooks them off so um yeah you, nice. you really want to be targeting like specific fish if you're using a flasher nice. it's the same with sounds as well isn't it we find some fish come in more with sounds and some fish are a little bit scared off the same with motion mm. actually as well i guess yeah yeah yep. yeah it's it's really interesting like with on the sound front so trevally in fiji i look a bit ridiculous doing this but if you make a kind of purse your lips and go <laughs> that's mm. an insane calling tactic for trevally really? they just come straight in yeah and you can be on a dive and have not seen a trevally all day and dive down onto a bit of reef and make that noise and they just suddenly appear. It's like you're summoning them. Amazing. <laughs> Anthony's definitely trying that one when he goes off right here. Yeah. <laughs> what if it works on gillheads? Yeah. <laughs> Try it on all the bats. 
it's a different sound that's worth exploring yeah absolutely and just going back to what you were saying a second ago that one of your favorite fish to to fish for in the uk is bass is there anything abroad that you would compare or liken to bass fishing their their sort of their personality their fishing techniques out there um yeah so what when bass is schooled up it's very similar to i i think australian salmon the way that you can just be like yeah on top of a reef or whatever and just like static waiting for something to come in and then all of a sudden just get engulfed by this like absolute mm-hmm. like spiraling tornado um that's really really cool so australian salmon in sydney is probably the fish most common to do that kingfish do do that as well um but often they're like undersized when they're in big schools like that um in new zealand i've seen plenty of videos of kingfish that are like 40 kilos 30 kilos and they're they're doing that which is just ridiculous um but then in terms of like hiding in the in the weed and like ambushing I don't think we really do in Sydney. We don't really have that kind of like habitat or if we mm. do, yeah, we don't spear it. So yeah, I'm not not too sure. The bass is one of my favorite fish for hunting for flavor as well because of yeah, I love love bass. Yeah. Nice, See, I'm still trying to turn everybody onto rats. Rats are just not <laughs> safe with me. But uh... what's your favorite fish abroad? Do you have like a, uh, a hunt or to eat? Uh, eat. To eat. Um, I've got to say that the emperor species is definitely like moving up in, in my list. So okay. uh, the buffalo emperor and yeah, like, oh, there's a thumbprint emperor as well. That's like quite a small, small species of emperor, but it's absolutely delicious. Like, I, yeah, I love it. There's something about that fish. But yeah, it just gets me going. It's yeah, it's wicked. Um, other things like Spanish mackerel is pretty incredible. Um, we've got red rock cod, which in Europe I think the cousin is like scorpion fish, and okay. that's sensational eating. But goat goat fish have to be probably my favourite fish of all time. Oh, lovely! Is is, is yeah, that is that red mullet? Is that what goat fish is? It is. <gasps> I'm a goat fish king. <laughs> I never knew they were called goatfish. Whenever I saw the goatfish on your YouTube on your uh, videos, I was like, well, they look a lot like red mullet, but they can't be because they're called goatfish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, same same species or like same family. The incredible the flavors that you get from them, like the individual species, you can line them all up and taste them, and you know that they're all goatfish, but they've all got real distinct flavors that are mm. just incredible. Nice. Yeah. The, the best thing with them is the fact that also you just you bred them or flour them and you can eat them whole and it just nothing goes to waste they've got such small innards as well the only thing that i do find don't leave them overnight before you remove the guts because they stink to the high heavens (laughs) it's prawns isn't it it's bound to i did mine on the barbecue today i left the scales on and they went all crispy like you'd shown me anthony the other day. oh nice oh absolutely delicious butterflied it and I've, I've got the hang of butterflying now as well which is quite cool nice I've, 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 I've frozen my three just because we which has been absolutely manic this week so i've uh, your still freezer got... must be massive i went through it earlier just to pull out some bacon and stuff and i've probably got it's got to be at least 40 kilos of fish in that freezer 
40, 40 kilos of rice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's 40 kilos of rice and everything else. But um, and so on on the flip side of your favorite fish, you did the um the I can't remember what it's called. Inedibles. Undesirables. Undesirables. That was it. Yeah. So what was the, the thing that made you gag? Like, what's the one fish that you're like, fuck that? The um, yeah, the rock kale, definitely. <laughs> it's like for it to live in the ocean and for it to live kind of where it lives and other fish that you get in, a, in the same environment, I don't understand how it's turned out so wrong. Like, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. There's... um. So we've got a black drummer which eats weed and lives on a similar diet to the rock kale, I believe, and they taste wicked. Mm. Yeah, this um, rock kale, it tastes like something out of like a freshwater pond. It's got like a muddy mm. taste to it. Oof. Yeah, no, I really didn't like that. There's a close relative, the herring kale, and I've heard yeah similar stories, which I'll eventually cover. Um, that's going to get a <laughs> reboot in the next few months, the undesirables, so I'll be leading in with more of those. And we've still got nice. the mullet to come. Yeah, nice, nice man. Nothing Can wrong be... with a mullet. We love a mullet. Here. Yeah, we love a mullet. Here. <laughs> just t- take all the sewage out of it, and it's a lovely fish. <laughs> <laughs> all the um, bog roll. Yes, yeah, so that that leads us on to like your your YouTube channel, Sam, like Wet Mammal. I mean, it's YouTube channel is more of a um, persona, I guess. What 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 was the inspiration behind it, and where where do you see it going? Um, so I started the the YouTube. I've always enjoyed making videos. I had uh, a channel when I was like 13 for cliff jumping and yeah, used to edit up all the videos of the boys doing cliff jumps in Torquay. And then, so I've always enjoyed videoing and editing. And then when I moved to Australia, when I was 21 or 20, um, I was trying to make videos to show family what I was doing. And I started off by making like actual DVDs where I'd like rip video files onto DVDs and then post them back to family so they could see what I was getting up to in Australia. And then I realized that was a really ineffective way of sharing the the content, especially after a few like DVDs got lost. So then, um, yeah, I basically created the YouTube channel because of it's just like streaming. So um, I did that and yeah it seemed to go quite well and then when i moved over to the east coast of australia and i was based in sydney um i then yeah just got onto it more regularly and then i got some good feedback from the like sydney spearfishing community so then i was like actually you know what this is a a great way to like educate people on stuff and Mm -hmm. like showcase like legal size limits and um vulnerability of fish like the sustainability of spearfishing and then it's yeah it's it's been on a bit of a kind of journey of sometimes just wanted to showcase like yeah hike in the outdoors and kind of inspire other people to get out there and do like get involved with spearfishing because although like a lot of people don't want more people to spearfish i i would prefer that people don't commercially like support commercial fishing so mm. i always see if i'm in influencing people into spearfishing that's better than commercial than buying the yeah. fish commercially. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and your sure latest enough. video, I wanted to ask a, a question about. It was um, your first Chinaman fish in Fiji. I think yeah. that's the latest one. Anyway, that's the latest one I, I've watched. That dive, that looked really deep. Like you were descending for what, like a minute, like yeah, constantly was... spinning. You must have been absolutely shattered. 
yeah i was it, well they took me out because of um i ended up getting a lung squeeze from that though, yeah so. I sound every loads of people have commented and like dropped DMs on Insta saying like, dude, what's what's the matter with you? You sound miserable. And it's like I don't have the the most enthusiastic voice like at best of times. But um yeah, no, I was in pain when I did the uh, the audio for that. So basically, yeah, gained a, a lung squeeze. That was the second dive of the day and I don't have a dive watch. But I've shown it to a few like free diving instructors and other Spiro mates and they all reckon that it's like 32 to 34 um deep which is yeah like pretty pretty deep it's not the deepest that i've shot a fish at but like it's yeah it was silly not to have warmed up or anything mm. yeah. nice fish well, though nevertheless we're just gonna go for a yeah, quick break um and uh re-sort our audio so we'll be back in two and then yeah we'll talk to you more about what a lung squeeze is and uh how you can obviously avoid it but yeah speak to you in a minute so yeah, just before we uh, cut off, you were saying about obviously that that deep dive you did and lung squeeze. So tell us a bit more about that. What what was lung squeeze? What was your experience with lung squeeze, and what do you know about it? What does it feel like? Um, so I've actually had a couple of them now. So this is this is why one of the reasons why I've come back to Australia to obviously get like X-rayed and get it like checked out seriously, and because I dive frequently and like I want to continue diving frequently. I'm keen to to like find out what's going on. So um, and I got not my die. first one. Yeah, I'm not die, <laughs> which is actually, yeah, that's quite important. Um, so I got my first one. Uh, it would have been. I thought I had one in the Philippines in 2016, and it turned out that it wasn't. It was just like a blood vessel in my sinus, um, that basically yeah just like exploded. So with that one. It was quite funny. So I was diving with a friend and we were just free diving. We weren't spearfishing. And I was just like seeing like how deep I could go and so on. I wasn't using my actual fins. So um, we weren't going like hell for leather. But I think we were diving around definitely like past like the 20 meter mark. And um, I was coming up from one dive and he buddy dived down and joined me at like four meters, five meters. And uh, <laughs> the, the whole dive up the ascent i had like pressure building in my nose and it was like right at the bridge of the nose but like at the back and it was just building and building and building and building and then as i came up to the surface i kind of sneezed and as i sneezed the uh the mask just filled with blood it just went, oh, oh. so from his point of view he thought that my eyes exploded <laughs> <laughs> because the, the, the mask literally just went like, and just like went red so um, kind of alien versus predator shit. <laughs> yeah, but it felt incredible. Like all of the pressure that had built up suddenly obviously released. Um, so I thought that that was a lung squeeze. And I thought that because of I had my mouth closed, the blood couldn't come up. So it came out of my nose. But um, yeah, I was getting that confused with something else. So my first actual lung squeeze was this year um, in Fiji. And I'd had a sinus infection and had 10 days off diving i didn't dive for for 10 days i was actually in like a really rough state on an island with like no power no running water nothing oh, in it. No. It sucked. so um after after that about maybe three four weeks after that i got back into diving but slowly um and this was probably the first time that i'd gone like past 25 meters since the the sinus infection and um yeah i did everything wrong again i didn't do any stretches i, I didn't do any kind of warm-up just went down to about 25 and came up and as i came up i like i arched quite funny when i came up just to get like 
myself in a position to go back up quickly. And I, I must have overextended my lungs, like stretched my lungs when I did the, the bend to go up. And um, yeah, I basically just got like initial pain um, literally for like two seconds in, uh, in my left lung. And it was like the lower chamber, like the lower section of your, your lung. And that wore off. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet, I'm fine. And then I got to the surface and then I started coughing. And sure enough, I was coughing up bright red, like blood. Um, that persisted for about 20 minutes to half an hour. And it wasn't like throwing, it wasn't like huge amounts of blood. Every single time it was like a standard kind of spit, whatever spit standardized as, um, but uh, of blood. And it was like red and sometimes like quite foamy. Shit. Yeah. Oh, and so with that pain that you felt in your lung just so that just trying to imagine it myself did it feel like a, a left hand right hand stitch or what yeah, was the pain so, yeah as more of a painful stitch like a, a stitch with like uh, it's really hard to describe because it is quite unique like it's a unique sensation mm. um <laughs> your, your lung is... collapsing is it's quite a specific <laughs> yeah. thing sam <laughs> yeah it is um yeah it's not like stubbing a toe it's uh <laughs> yeah a, a stitch would actually be like probably the best way of of describing it actually like i was trying to describe it to other people like when you're really dehydrated and your kidney hurts mm. it's like that but on your lung like it's that kind of like soreness and pain um but yeah, it went away after a few seconds and then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but I knew from doing the freediving courses that I'd had a lung squeeze. So chilled out on the diving and everything um, just because of you're more susceptible to shallow water blackouts once you've had a lung squeeze. Right. So um, we don't want to black out. And then, yeah, so that kind of happened. And then I think I chilled out for probably not long enough with uh, like maybe a day or two days. And then I was like back diving down to like decent depth and um, nothing really came up uh, again for a couple of weeks. And then after one dive, it wasn't particularly deep. I just noticed that when I was spitting, um, yeah, there was like little bits of blood in it, but not heaps. Breaking so then those I was blood like, vessels okay. again. Yeah. Blood vessels. So um yeah, then nothing happened. I came back to the UK. I didn't dive half as much as I thought I was going to in the UK. Um, and I was very cold in UK waters for the first time <laughs> of my life. Um, but then I've returned to Fiji. And then, yeah, I had that occur on a like a spearfishing charter, like a, another lung squeeze. And then I had to do some like deep drops to free up a gun after I'd had this lung squeeze. I was already on the boat, like spitting blood, but the gun was trapped at like 25 meters, I think, off the top of my head, maybe 26 meters. Um, so I had to like dive down, try and like get the fish out of the cave, give it one last go, and I couldn't. So then I had to swim down a bit deeper, cut the spear, and then go back. And I tried getting the fish out once I cut the spear and couldn't get it out. So then I had to cut the line and then grab the gun, went up to the surface, and then almost had a uh, shallow water blackout, which was not good at all and that's on film um i'll get around to uploading that at some point and mm. from my perspective i came up and i thought that the dive had gone quite well i knew that i'd been down there for like quite some time but i thought that the dive had come like worked out really well when i came up to the surface and like took a breath of fresh air and everything and then all of a sudden zach zachy like uh, my dive buddy came over and he had his hands like underneath my chest 
and he was like are you all right and I was like dude like I'm fine like almost like kind of get off me like I'm fine <laughs> and and that's that's what I remember but then watching the the video back it's horrific so I come from Zaki's footage I come up and he asked me if I'm all right. And I go, yeah, bro, right. like sound really drunk. And then I put my face straight back in the water and I put my snorkel into my mouth, which is a bad habit that I've got. And, but the snorkel is actually underwater and I put it in my mouth and then he puts his hands up underneath me and says, are you all right? And as soon as he says, are you all right? It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like a stimulant kicks in because you can just see no. my face. I just back in the room. Come to. Yeah, it's really scary and especially because of from my perspective i thought everything was all right but the video lets out that probably three meters below the surface i let out all my air so you just see like bubbles coming out of me and then i like continue to go to the surface it's crazy um so yeah that was just me being stubborn i shouldn't have gone back for the fish i should have just gone down we agreed that i was going to cut the line so i should have just gone down cut the line and then come up and would have been sweet but ideally uh, yeah i didn't want to be diving after a long squeeze so it is definitely more common after mm. like to black out after a lung squeeze and that's that's proof of that i think mm. um and then there was like a two-month gap or six-week gap between getting the last one on that chinaman but i'm so so lazy so i do everything wrong on that dive i didn't stretch i didn't do any lung stretches before diving deep and I suppose this comes up from diving in the UK, like young without any training. It, it just never became part of my routine to yeah. do like lung stretches and warm up dives. Because if you're only diving to 12 meters, you might dive to six meters on the first one and then you can dive to 12 meters, no dramas. Mm. But when you dive in like 20, 30 plus meters, 35 plus meters, you really need to like take it slow and build your way down to the, to the depth because of the pressure like doubling because of uh, Boyle's Law. So that's one thing that definitely would have helped. But when I got the one on the Chinaman, I dove down and yeah, that was the second dive of the day. And the first dive of the day was already like 20 something meters, I think. Um, and then, yeah, boom. This was a, a more prolonged pain. I had it on the surface and when I was in the boat and I continued to split spit blood for like 40 minutes. Which was like a decent one, and then when we got back to land, the uh, the pain in my lung was still there, and it was like pretty significant, um, and like almost like lightheadedness as well. I ended up having to sit down, but it was like yeah, it was it was quite painful, and that persisted for about a day, and then certain movements, I'd just feel like I really wasn't getting like proper breath, so I'd be like a bit short of breath, and like really only taking shallow breaths like just day-to-day -day kind of thing so um yeah that was like a huge huge wake up that maybe i've done some some decent damage which isn't good so. well yeah, at least know. i mean during while you were talking about that i've now come up with a new business plan um it's called the breathalyzer for spearfishers and oh. basically it's, it's specifically actually for you sam and <laughs> you have to dive three dives to five meters before you're allowed to go any deeper then you've got to do three dives to 10 meters before you're allowed to go to 20. Um, yeah. And it's on a string on your float that doesn't get longer until you've done those dives. <laughs> so yeah. it, can, it can be your childminder. <laughs> that, that's what that's what I need. I, I need, yeah, 
<clears throat> I need authority or I need a device that like stops me from diving. Because as soon as I get into the water, I'm just like fixated on just go being straight for it. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you've got big fish swimming around like those Chinamen, like, yeah. Realistically, I should have done like five or six dives before I was diving that depth. Mm. Um, at least like as bare minimum. Mm. And I just got excited and carried away. That's like one of the most dangerous things with spearfishing. Um, mm. it happens quite a lot with people with their shallow water blackouts they'll actually dive down and they'll spend decent bottom time and then they'll come up and it's on their way up they see fish but they're already out of air but because they've seen fish they completely forget the fact that they've run out of air so mm. they have a little second dive down to try and like on the same breath hold to like try and get close to the fish they might shoot the fish they might not but then when they come up they uh, black out because of that and so, t- so talking about the video that you said that you know from that you might upload sometime soon how do you find getting the time to upload and do all of this for socials and stuff because you, you work yeah. a normal day job right yeah so um in fiji is a bit different because i work remotely i work like i'm quite happy to work like 12 14 hours a day like seven days a week so um for me it's like yeah I don't I don't have to do much in my spare time other than edit so on the weekends and stuff I'll edit I start my days most days at five o'clock and I'll I'll like do a bit of editing and everything and kind of go from there and then I'll do editing in the evening when I finish work do that to about 10 30 11 30 at night every night but that's just like that's just me like a profit and I love doing yeah. it the videos give me as much enjoyment as the diving does so yeah mm. Yeah, nice. I, I can't imagine editing that stuff, man. It takes us long enough to edit these podcasts. Never mind editing those videos. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I sympathise with some of it because it, it can get a bit much at times. But like, it, it's almost um, you have to froth on this sort of thing to like to do it, don't you? I mean, you're not going to do it for any, any other reason, are you? Um, we, yeah, you know, it's the same with us with this podcast. We love doing it, and that's why we do it. It takes up a load of our time, but yeah, we we just manage it. You know, no problem um, for me. <laughs> Well, yeah, 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 you're the lazy one. Yeah. No, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one that's like, I'm the beauty of, <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, are you, uh, we don't want to keep you too much longer. So, there's so much to unpack. Like, it's just, just loads going on. But, um, are you, are you affiliated with, with Aim, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I basically just used their gear for a number of years and absolutely loved it. I've re- been really, really keen on supporting um, local business in Australia. Like, and when I was in the UK, I was the same. Like, I've just grown up with that kind of ethic. So, yeah. um, when I came to Australia and was living here more permanently, I was like, right, I'm switching from Oma, which I grew up with, um, purely because of like, yeah, just a few inc- incidents with their gear that I didn't enjoy. So I was like, right, okay, I want to support local. Let's go for Australia. What Australian brands are there? And Aimright came up as like being the best for building like high quality um, carbon guns, which I, I quite like. So purchased the gun, absolutely fell in love with it. The trigger mechanism alone, the safety feature on the trigger mech is an absolute game changer. I, since having an Aimright, I've never lost a fish due to safety issues. Whereas with other guns, the safety would be jammed or it would be accidentally turned on when I didn't want it to be. And it just it just sucked. Whereas having the so the trigger mech works by it's got two triggers. So it's got a trigger that you operate with this finger. I don't know if the video is going to go live, but um, <laughs> we have one finger, finger and then 
<laughs> yeah, your middle finger, and then you'll go your trigger finger is your normal trigger finger. But if you tried using the trigger finger without the middle finger engaged on the bottom trigger, um, the gun wouldn't fire, it's locked. <laughs> so as soon as you engage with the middle finger, then the trigger finger becomes released, and then you can actually... So it's like a lawnmower, basically, but in a spear gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> that's, that's a nice way of putting it. But it's, it's genius, and I don't understand why it's not implicated. Yeah, it's a really good idea. Every, I've seen, everybody, go on. Yeah, so I was going to say, I've seen some of the, uh, one of their guns over in Spearfish in UK, over this side, the aim yeah. guns. Yeah, they look decent quality, man. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you rate them for the UK then? Like, I know, like, you know, you could get by with anything, but I mean, particularly yeah. UK, you know what it's like. Do you reckon they're any decent for you? Definitely. Um, I've used my 85 roller in the UK with like huge success. It's been amazing. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, so Aimright kind of created a, another brand called Genesis that was kind of operated under Aimright, but it's like its own separate brand. And I'm not sure if the, the guns in the UK are Genesis or Aimright. But I haven't fired a Genesis, and I believe that they're kind of targeted at, at like the the not the budget market, but like the lower end of the scale. Whereas the Aimright brands more like premium, and so I don't know. But if there's yeah. Aimright in the UK, it will be yeah, it will be good. Mm. But now yeah. I'm um, fully sponsored. I've definitely so. seen one in, in Spearfish in UK. So yeah, nice oh, one. Awesome. Your Aimright yeah, nice. carbon oh, gives me a hard on. It's <laughs> the only the only thing, and in in fairness, your aim right now they're not wetsuits, are they? They're like rash vests or rash suits. Yeah, they're lycra suits. Yeah, yeah, that you wear for your um, like you, you, your um. Oh god, my brain's gone blank again. My fucking dementia. Um, your hiking spear. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like it looks like you found it in a bin and (laughs) (laughs) you've been wearing it for fucking years. Whenever I see you in your videos and you get it on, I'm like, he definitely nicked that off a hobo. Like, (laughs) like, is it? But (laughs) how long have you not? I have not dined on gear at all. Like, any, any, like, gear, I'm just ruthless with it. Hey, like, with the the wetsuits and the lycra like i've i've slipped down cliffs in it like it's it's been through hell my guns i think travis the owner of aimright would be disgusted if you see the way that i i get into uk waters sometimes where i the, saw the one in the video where i threw my gun and the gun was clipped to the float line and the float line just snagged the smallest branch on the planet and it meant that the i threw my gun like off like a 10 meter cliff and it didn't make it to the water. It just smashed so, like, the side of the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> it was and one was of your videos. Like... Yeah, you were doing the um you were doing the dive bomb in and you just launched your gun in and then jumped in after <laughs> it. I was like, that is a man of my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this climbing down that thing. I'm just gonna jump in. <laughs> yeah, no, just just jump in, bucket that. Because if you climb down, you're gonna slip, it's gonna take up like diving time and yeah, it's gonna be a drama there anyway, just fucking launch. Get in. Get that was funny when I saw. That. I saw. I saw one of the um, spray jobs they'd done on one of those guns, man, on Instagram. It looked mental. It had like blue skulls and stuff like that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, man, that looked Hydro nice. Spin. They like, yeah, the, the guns are ridiculous. Like, they're they're head turning guns for sure, and they're mm. just super durable. Like, 
if that was a timber gun and I was throwing it off cliffs, the gun would know about it. Um, yeah. That's one benefit of having the carbon. And the carbon massive benefits, massively benefits me because it's so lightweight. So for flying and everything, mm. it's just a dream. And same for the hiking spears. It's just so light. The only thing I'd ask is, so I've, I've got a um, an 85 roller um, that I bought from Startpoint. I don't think it's a start point gun. It's made by obviously somebody that they then branded a start point. Um, I can't fault the gun. I think I've got to, I've got to bend the um, twin floppers out a little bit because it's just it's not keeping fish. The floppers just aren't engaging once it kills a fish. Yeah. But I do find that versus so I've got a seventy five. Um, what are they? Comanche or Apache? Something like Cressy. Um, yeah. with a dual band versus that, and it's a 75 versus an 85 roller. That 85 roller feels like trying to move a 12-foot log through the water. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so much, like, like, I wouldn't even say four or five times. I'd say, like, ten times worse moving that through the water than it is a twin-band normal gun. Have you Do you use normal no, twin-bands much? No, I don't, I don't use, um, since I've switched to rollers, I don't use normal guns again. I don't think I'd ever go back. But um, I can tell you what I think the issue would be. So having a roller, you've obviously got bands now at the bottom mm. as well as on the top. So you're increasing your drag. And if you've got a tube gun, which I highly suspect that that will be like just a straight pipe, um, the hydrodynamics of it, you basically push water in and then it will, like from when you move the gun, you'll get like, twice the force hitting it because of the some of the water will go between the bands but then it will kind of ripple on the second band so you just like you just created like extra drag on the gun whereas mm. when you've got a cuttle bone designed gun um it just cuts through and it works so well with the rollers like i've used cuttle bone um et standard gun like two bands that was the last omer i had before i had the omer carbon roller that i got my dramas with um and that was that was like a good gun, but on the the rollers, I feel like the cuttlebone, like just yeah, it works perfectly. That's the proper so the, Yeah, the um, Aimrite eighty five that I've got that I've nicknamed Poseidon's roller. That's got like a, a curved cuttlebone design, whereas the double vendetta roller that I've been using a lot in Fiji has got a real sharp like um, design, and I I prefer the smoother design of the 85 to the double vendetta um but the double vendetta just like slices through the water nice so um, I, um, it's quick to move, but mm. and price wise i know that obviously i i think as rich was saying there, i think they're in the uk but um price wise in all price wise in oz what's the price of something like your your favorite roller 85 so my 85, it's completely, it was a completely custom um, gun. So Aimrite does custom builds. So I think it would have been around the, I want to say like 15, 1600 mark. Mm. But that was based on the old pricing when um, Aimrite used to distribute to stores. Now that they sell their products like solely online in Australia, they don't distribute via stores. They've managed to slice like 30% off the cost of everything. Oh, so nice. I think okay. you're looking in pounds, probably around like maybe five or six hundred pounds, something like that. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, not I, horrendous. I just, I just had a Google while we're talking there, just so we can give the listeners correct information. 
on Spearfish in UK, it's actually under Aim Right Genesis. So it's obviously the other brand name that we're talking mm. about. But um, yeah. it does say Aim Right Genesis. So I'm not sure, but just to clarify that for everyone. Yeah, um, cool. So yeah, that is, yeah that's the, that's the Genesis brand underneath Aim Right. So that is Aim Right's brand is Genesis, but it's not an Aim Right Aim Right. It's an Aim Right Genesis. Yeah. 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 yeah correct. So I think even the the stickers on the guns, um, they don't say M right. I think they just say Genesis. But I haven't I haven't used I haven't used the Genesis, so I can't comment on it. Yeah, cool. No, oh, awesome. Well, Christ, if ever you get bored of your uh, of your carbon, oh, <laughs> I got dibs. I got dibs. <laughs> when I come when I come back to the UK, I'll um I'm gonna bring I think four guns back with me on the next trip. So I've got four M right. So um yeah, we'll oh. go out for a dive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even, someone's even just gonna have to suffer with a one-two-five in UK waters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm probably going to end up getting the short straw, considering I'm the the, the longest person that's spearfishing. So <laughs> I'll probably get it because comparison, comparatively, it's probably short for me. Yeah, um, can you imagine uh, me trying to load that? <laughs> <laughs> Ben loading a one two five. <laughs> right, if we just stick it on the beach and then we get a tractor so that we can load it, that'd be fine. <laughs> but you, you were just saying a, a second ago, so you, you're going to be traveling back to the UK with a load of guns. How how do you find traveling with spear fishing and all of your gear? Is it uh, is it a nightmare as much as I think it would be, or it, it it can be. It depends on the airline and it depends on the day. So um frequent flyer is like i think it's an absolute must if you're going to be flying try and accumulate like a frequent flyer so you get additional baggage and all the perks of like skipping queues and priority service and Mm -hmm. and so on because it really really makes a difference um checking in spear guns can be a hassle so i avoid using the term spear gun now and i just say that it's like fishing equipment because Mm -hmm. of there's all kinds of rigmarole that you have to jump through when i last during COVID, it was uh, March 2020. I traveled from Australia to LA, LA to the UK. And the US made me, or they were trying to find me like $10,000 US for smuggling a firearm into the country. Wow. And then we unboxed the whole thing. And instead of them admitting that it wasn't a firearm, they treated it as a firearm, but let me off the fine. But I had to purchase a hard shell for it. At the time, it was in a soft shell case. And then I needed to separate the spears from the spear guns and store the um, spears in a separate case. And then everything needed to be padlocked. So I needed to purchase all of those things um, at the airport, which was incredibly impractical. And yeah, I was so annoyed. And they listed it as it came with a tag saying like firearm, everything like restricted item, firearm. And then at Heathrow Airport, because of the madness of COVID, they just dumped it out the front of the uh the conveyor belt <laughs> completely unattended <laughs> and it's got a massive label on it saying firearm and everything and so it was just like ridiculous contrast of um yeah security i guess but um for the most part it's like really really simple you just get on a plane you check it in it goes in as oversize um i use a sports tube which i absolutely love um, they're great. They've got their faults, but they are they are like great. They protect your gear. Um, check that in, and then that's kind of it. And I see it on the other side most of the time. <laughs> nice, cool. Boys. So, uh, 
Right, go on. Sorry. No, sorry, my internet's dropping out then again. Um, yeah, so just going on to like, we've talked about all the scary stories. Have you got like any super funny stories for us? Super funny stories. Um, uh, trying to think. Yeah, like there definitely have been like hilarious moments in the water. Um, I seem to couple the really funny stuff with Andy, like my dive buddy in uh, in Sydney. And one time we went out for Kingies, like we were sure that we were going to come across Kingies at this spot. It was just like everything felt right. Like the conditions were perfect. It was primed for Kingfish. And um, we couldn't see any. And I think Andy stumbled across one, but it was like in the distance. So I, I needed a, a blue poo. So I was like, Andy, mate, I'm going for a, for a BP. I'll be back in a bit. So I swam like 40 meters away from him. Obviously down current of him. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, took, took, took my crap. And as I took my crap, like I saw Kingfish like come past me and my wetsuit was like down by my ankles. So I pulled that back <laughs> up and I'm out into school of yakas and um, which are mackerel and then dove down into the school of mackerel. And it was the first dive after the poo and yeah, boom, Kingfish shot. It was like a 20 kilo Kingy, which was <laughs> wicked. Was it nice. Yeah, it was it was a decent kingy. I can't remember if it was twenty kilos or if it was. <laughs> the image of you trying to get a twenty kilo kingy on a boat while your cacks are down your ankles. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had a ship. Yeah, you're just floating in the water, pants down, take a poo, and you know, kick a little bit, kick and every shoot, couple of seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. I know that feeling, man. I know that feeling. <laughs> well, I, I think... feel like I feel like you're not a uh, an authentic spearer unless you've done a, a sea poo. Eh? Yeah, oh, definitely. It's the it's the most vulnerable you can feel as a man. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly humbling, especially in like great white territory. And you just, yeah, uh, right. it's just like, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It's an experience. <laughs> well, talking a bit more about the fish that you got obviously caught abroad. I mean, you must be like a pig in shit going across and getting the crustaceans and the lobsters out there, considering they haven't got any claws. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good, but then it comes with its own unique challenges. So the ones in Sydney and South Australia and like across the Southern parts of Australia, um, they've got spines as defense. So you, mm-hmm. you've got them in you know, the spiny lobster family and um, yeah, they've got spines as defense, but I mean, if you've got like decent Kevlar gloves, you can get them without like ripping your hands to bits. I've actually, uh, it was maybe three weeks ago. I shot lobster, which was my third time ever shooting lobster. I saw that. Not particularly enjoyable thing to do, but I mean, yeah, it's the way it's done there. And my, gloves were torn to crap otherwise i would have mm-hmm. gone for a um a reach grab but yeah there's there's plenty of lobsters here and i spent a good probably over three years i've probably spent like a good six months just solely diving for lobsters so i'm pretty in tune with water temps um, weather patterns pressures when they start to appear when they start to disappear when they move what can cause them to move and then like just key signals that they're around so um yeah, lobsters here are one of my like specialties. And what so, are they like compared to the ones we have? I've just had one, caught, caught one um, yesterday afternoon. Delicious. I've, I've never tried it, one of those spiny lobsters, which is, I guess, the closest 
cousin to the rock lobsters out there? Yeah, um, they they behave like really quite differently. So they they quite like being in groups. They're quite like they're far more social than the lobsters than huh. that we have in the UK. So it's not uncommon at a few of my like best honey holes. Um, I will stick my head under, and there might be forty to fifty lobsters. No of like two meters and they're literally all bunched up they can't fit another lobster in there they're all just like stuck to each other because of there's no space and wow. um, so i guess that they go for safety in numbers or perhaps they're just chatty lobsters and they enjoy each other's company <laughs> yeah, that's did, like uh, did you not notice the um the bowl of keys at the front door yeah <laughs> actually you've stumbled across a lobster a sex one. game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is how they breed so what you were saying earlier on where you shot a lobster so just going a little bit back into it so obviously in the uk um the laws and legislations are that you can only hand catch crustaceans um specifically with lobsters you are definitely not allowed to shoot them because one you need to make sure they're the correct size two you need to make sure that they're not a buried female and then three over and above that you need to make sure that they're not v-notched is the laws and legislation out there that well it's kind of all fair game or so and um, the lobster that i shot was in fiji where it is completely fair game to shoot them um you're not allowed to take buried lobster in fiji so it's just one thing to like inspect um and if mm. i couldn't like see the lobster buried or unburied then i wouldn't have taken the shot mm. but um yeah they've obviously got a legal size as well but you can you can tell when lobsters are like past that um, especially when they're like a decent size past that. If it's just like yeah. a centimetre in it, you probably wouldn't take the shot. But if it's like three centimetres in it, you know that like that's that's decent. Um, so we measure our lobsters same as UK, just the carapace. Mm -hmm. um, in New South Wales, where I am currently, um, it's strictly hand only. We can't use snares. We can't use guns. Like you can't shoot them. It's just hands and that's it. Um, which I actually prefer in Queensland, so the state north of here, um, they're allowed to shoot them. So it varies state to state and country to country. Most of the South Pacific, they're allowed to shoot them. Um, and yeah, in Queensland. And I, I sort of see like pros, it's, it's opened kind of a decent conversation around it when I did that post because loads of, been, loads of people have posted against it saying like, oh, that's like terrible. Why the fuck are you shooting that? That's illegal. You're going to go to jail, not knowing that obviously it's in Fiji mm. where it's completely legal. It's usually mm. guys from the US that comment all of that. Like, dude, what the fuck? You can't do that. You're going to jail. So, <laughs> well, no, I've said that I'm in Fiji, but different yeah. rules, American rules. Um, but so the, the perks of shooting the lobster is, is a quicker death for the lobster you're far more guaranteed to land the lobster as opposed to just injure the lobster. So with the spiny lobsters, they've got these huge antennas that come out and stick out from under the rocks. And if you're unsuccessful in getting the lobster, more likely than not, you will have snapped the lobster's antenna off, one or two of them. If it's really unlucky, it might have even lost a couple of legs during mm. the ordeal, which puts huge stress on the lobster and makes it very vulnerable to predation because of scent like the the blood and everything leaking out of the antenna holes and the leg holes will attract octopus sharks things mm. that eat the, the lobster mm. so yeah i've learned a lot of positives to shooting but ultimately i'm still yeah much more of a fan of using the hands 
I think it's just fairer game. And like, it sounds weird when it comes to like taking an animal's life, but it's more fun to grab a lobster than it is to to shoot a lobster. Yeah, we um we normally reach out and ask listeners for questions, and they did give us some, but um, we're running out of time. So I think we've mostly covered it. To be honest, there is one listener's question, um, but before we jump on that, just real quick fire question: uh, Who inspires you the most, or who has inspired you the most during your spearfishing like time? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say in terms of YouTube, back to basics, DS Living. Um, yeah, DS nice. Living sadly passed away now, but like, yeah, awesome. And then in terms of like actual diving, the aim right team massively. Um, Matt Hill, as always, he's always been mm-hmm. like a fantastic diver. Um, but yeah, some of the divers within aim right are just exceptional. Awesome. And the people that I've met along the way on my travels, everybody that I get to dive with, I like try and take something away from diving with them, positive or negative. And yeah, yeah. massively appreciate just that the experience shared. Yeah, so we got the one list of questions. I think the rest we've pretty much covered based on, really. We might want so in green. I don't know if it's because you didn't want to ask it, but should we ask it anyway from Ethan off of uh, Jack Wreck Adventures? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right, man. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so the one, what, the what one shampoo list- do you use for your mullet? It's the uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly just. Yeah, so in Fiji, it's just spring water. I actually don't use any shampoo or anything. It's just salty and dirty, and yeah, then gets cleaned with spring water every now and then. That's it. That's yeah, the way to do it, man. Well, yeah. my, my, my missus will be singing your praises because she is not a fan of shampoo. She's always like, it strips your hair of its natural oils and all of yeah. its protection, which I kind of get, actually. <laughs> but. Well, for the listeners, just for anybody that is wondering, Sam's mullet is banging, as well as his mid-parted moustache. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's natural as well. Is so it? That's, yeah, you don't need to shave. Amazing. I've got. A, I don't need to shave. Nothing grows. I've got a um a scar that runs up my my lip and then up my nose, and uh, yeah, there's just no hair growth. Obviously, you don't get hair on your nose, but. Nice. I was wondering if you, if you. I was wondering whether you did that for diving, whether it like yeah, doesn't yeah. make the mask leak or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've evolved to to dive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we can see that. Yeah, sweet man. Really appreciate you coming on. Like for, for any listeners um, that want to like reach out or just like watch your videos and stuff, just want to like tell them where they can find you. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, across the board now, it's wet mammals. So YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, yeah, just for lots and lots of spearfishing, bits of like camping, cooking, and yeah, a bit of hiking adventure, but mostly spearfishing. Yeah, well, nice all, all I can recommend to everybody from from Sam's stuff on YouTube is you, you've got the playlist, haven't you? Set up of your um, hike and cook, hike and spear. Yeah, hike and spear. Yeah. If if you've got a weekend of doing nothing, just get popcorn, get some beer, and just literally press play from episode one. It's an awesome awesome journey watching sam um falling down hills and, and, and j- jumping in the sea in hobo clothes that is his aim right outfit um yeah th- thank you so much for coming on sam it's been an absolute yeah, pleasure awesome. and uh no thank you very much for your all your information uh, but the last word on it is stop fucking pushing it because you're gonna kill yourself <laughs> cunt <laughs> and if you don't i will 
So <laughs> that's, that's the advice that I've re- that's the exact advice I've received from the uh, the doctor, my mum, and I think everybody who knows me. So yeah. <laughs> well, we we want you around for on, a long, man. long time. You know, I think uh, Noob Spiro just had their two hundredth episode. And uh, we need you to stick around so that we can get a shout and a message from you at our 200 episode. <laughs> so, uh, but no, very much looking forward to diving with you when you get back to the UK. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Massively appreciate it. It's always good. Absolute laughing. pleasure. Yeah, yeah man, likes. just coming on, dude. Really appreciate it. Well, enjoy your day at work. We're all half cut. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> it's only eight o'clock of the year. So. <laughs> Excellent. Cheers, Sam. We'll speak to you soon. Catch you later, Enjoy. mate. Take care. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. Wow. Well, boys. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Rich. Five, four, three, three, one. Bloody hell, boys. That was a good one, eh? Yeah, cracking. Well, he's got so much experience, hasn't he? Spearfishing since, what do you say, 13? Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, like guys like that that live it, you can just tell it. It's just yeah, yeah, it's, uh, incredible adventures. If if you haven't checked out his channel, please do because it's just so much great content on there. Very impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Sure, he's a, he's a he's a bloody good Spiro, and uh, I've watched a lot of his YouTube as you can probably tell. I was uh, yeah, really really happy to have him on, but um, <laughs> no, re- re- really decent guy, and I'm looking forward to diving with him when I can when he gets into the UK and also stealing all of his big guns obviously <laughs> so lads what we got coming up then well we've got Max coming on haven't we this is a Frenchman the Frenchman I don't know if we're allowed to say that in a French accent is that racist now I don't know man that's Max we'll have to ask Max tomorrow we're going to get Sam was calling those fish Chinamen, so I thought that might have been a bit out there, but... (laughs) It's actually what they're called, isn't it, I think? They are called Chinamen fish. Hey, man, I don't want no more messages on Facebook. (laughs) Well, and and I learned something new. I didn't realise red mullet was a goat fish. Every time I've watched Sam's videos catching goat fish, I was like, oh, they look like red mullet, but they can't be the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we... And, and we're going out next week, aren't we, with uh, David Mellon? Oh, yeah, really looking forward to that. Our diving be, session um, Friday. I mean, really interesting now with all grown gills and uh, she'll be able to hit some pretty good depths. And... <laughs> what, 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 what are each of you expecting from it? Oh, just a quick... Like, I, I think I need to sort of my duck dive. That's um, I, I know I've got better, but I've kind of been teaching myself to get better and trying different things. So... Having yeah. someone to step back and take a look at it. I know that both of you guys have pretty good duck dives because I've been watching you. I've got a feeling mine's a bit of shit. So having David give me a few tips. Has been you you were doing better yesterday. I watched Thanks, you a mate. couple of dives and you were doing good. <laughs> and Anthony, what were what, what you trying to, well, we're hoping, shall I say, to get out of it? <laughs> hoping? You know exactly <laughs> what I'm fucking doing when we go on Friday. And well, you did. You know kissing exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> no, I'm not kissing his ass. I'm kicking your ass, boy. Uh, okay. Who's going to have the deepest now, dive? Who's going to have the longest dive? Game, it's man. always got to be a competition. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous game. Yeah, uh, mate, like, listen, I love having uh, the old competition, who's going to win the species comp, but I think that's a bad idea, who's going to have the deepest dive. But 
I'm, I'm uh, sorry. That, that that sounds like the words of a pussy. <laughs> That's a recipe for, for uh, passing out, mate. To be honest. Well, I'll be there to suck your mouth when you when you shallow water blackout. So. Please do not let him give me resuscitation of breast. <laughs> Who would you just, rather? What you don't want me to use my tongue? <laughs> um, I'm having Ben, please. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I think, no, think it'll be good. I mean, you, you said the other day, um, a couple of weeks back, that you want to try and, and I'm being serious about this, um, yeah. that you want to try and hit 30, right? Yeah, yeah, 30, yeah, 30 would be good. Yeah. Um, I, 30, I'm, I'm... 30's deep for us, even even though, yeah. you know, we, 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 well, I'm noob, you've been around for five years, but 30's a deep dive for Spearrows. Uh, yeah, for Spearrows, yeah. I, I'm kind of really enjoying just free diving aspect of it right now like more yeah. than more than spearfishing actually weirdly um i was just really enjoying it since i went out with tony on the uh, wreck that we dived um i just i don't know like i just the free diving aspect to me is like just really appealing at the minute so i'm really enjoying that and i feel like i've got 30 in the tank i've done 25 i think it was before so and that was a couple of years ago as well so I've, I've definitely like got a lot more experience since then so i think to be honest it depends on the day and mm. every like loads of aspects, um, you know, dehydration and sleep and everything else. So mm. I'll just see how it goes on the day. Um, if I could do 30, that'd be cool. If not, it's just all good. Just pick up all the tips and tricks and stuff that David throws at us and just go from there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think the biggest thing for me at Bobster was the, the thermo, whatever they call it. Thermocline. Ther- yeah. Like, Oh, it gets so cold so quick. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like a massive shock. And so then you're just trying to overcome your adrenaline. The, the, yeah, the one thing I'm not looking forward to is being cold because when I went out today, I was super cold in my wetsuit. Really? When I was, well, when I was stalking the gearhead, obviously you can't move much, can you? So um, I was really, really cold. And obviously free diving the quarry, you don't move much either. So mm. um, uh, yeah, if, if anyone out there wants to sponsor us in wetsuits, I'm all ears <laughs> because <laughs> mine's knackered. How how were you yesterday afternoon, Ben? Cold wise, yeah, fine. yeah, yeah see, no, no worries. I, I think to the end of the end of the dive, I was getting a little bit chilly, but not like not like too bad. I'm still in three mil gloves. I find like gloves and socks make the biggest difference for me. Um, and my socks are a little bit baggy. I need to get, get some new ones. Maybe go for like six mil over the winter or something. I, I saw Dan Man uses like mittens for for gloves because yeah, we're yeah. in the cold so maybe that might be a good way to do it but actually this I mean this time of year it's still what I don't know it was 15 degrees something like that yeah, yeah. see I, I was sweating by the time I got out yesterday and I'm still in my 7 mil year old 7 mil stoop but yeah uh, it was, it was quite walk up that hill yeah <laughs> and, well, by the time I got up the hill once I took my trousers and top off like the, I had the torch in the back seats pointing downwards so that I had a little bit of light and the yeah. steam coming off me I looked like I was on fire <laughs> It was awesome. Yeah, nice, man. Well, yeah, yeah. we just wanted to, uh, the last thing we want to do is just reach out and say thank you to all the listeners because um, especially over the last couple of weeks, uh, the downloads have gone crazy and it's doing really well. We're a lot better than, as we say, we've said this a couple of times, a lot better than we thought we would do. So we really appreciate everyone like jumping in and helping us out and listening and just really giving us good feedback as well. It's quite nice to hear, to be honest. So, um, yeah. yeah. No, thank you very much for listening. It's um, it, yeah, as Rich said, it's awesome to hear the feedback. It's awesome to see the feedback, and 
<laughs> God help us if we ever let an episode go out two days late. <laughs> the, the messages <laughs> that we get, why is the podcast? Is it finished now? <laughs> no, no, we're just being fat and lazy. Well, we, we give up a lot of dive time as well, don't we, to do this? That's the thing that people don't realise is that we give up a lot of our time to, to do this. And yeah. it's cool because we love it, but at the same time, it is a big commitment. Um, but I think that will hopefully be, yeah, as we progress, it'll get easier, won't it? So. Yeah. I'm always going to be around to spend an hour and a half chat shit with you two. Yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> sure. Well, boys, so- I'll catch you tomorrow. Yeah, awesome. See you guys. Speak Catch to you, you soon. Look forward see to Max. Later. Cheers. Bye for now.